dedicated to each and every one of you who appreciate a great glass of wine. You know what I mean? It's Monday. Let's raise a glass to the beginning of another week. It's time to unscrew, uncork, or saber a bottle. And let's begin exploring the wine glass. Today, I am sharing an exciting conversation with some producers in Jumilla, Spain. Jumilla Dio is located in southeastern Spain and is a super autonomous region. This means that it spans across two separate autonomous regions, Castilla-La Mancha and Murcia. The only other two DOs that have this qualification are Rioja and Cava. The winemakers here are dedicated to sustainable farming, and although there are many varieties produced in the region, Monastrell is the queen. Please take a moment to rate and review the podcast. Did you know that you can do it right now while you are listening? New ratings and reviews are how the algorithms decide which podcasts they recommend to others, and if you love the podcast, other wine lovers will too. Don't forget to add your email address to the newsletter list on the website to keep up on all things exploring the wine glass. Slancha! Hey everybody, I'm Lori Budd, a UC Davis winemaking program, Spanish wine scholar, someday service, champagne and Cotteron specialist, and a WSET level 2 graduate. You can find Exploring the Wine Glass on all the socials, as well as your favorite podcast catchers. If you haven't subscribed yet, now's the perfect time to swipe, subscribe, rate, and review. Stay in the know about all things wine by visiting my website, exploringthewineglass.com. I promise I'll never tell you what to drink, but I'll always share what's in my glass. Well, welcome, everybody. Um, I am very excited to be uh, moderating or, you know, just talking with everybody here about Humia. Um, I told April earlier that it's all her fault that I am now a Spanish wine scholar because my first visit to Spain was to Humia, and it was incredible. And it triggered my love of exploring more of the Spanish wines and the region. And I joke, uh, but it's like my cheeks hurt when I was there because I was smiling so much of how much beauty it is and how much history there is. And I had the opportunity to, you know, walk through the vineyards and geek out with the winemakers and talk about some pretty incredible stuff uh, that happens in Humia that, you know, doesn't happen everywhere else. And that's what's really special. Okay. So as you can see, there was lots to smile about there. (laughs) I mean, it was so Mm -hmm. beautiful. And that didn't even get to really the wine itself, which, you know, before we get into the wineries, it really, the, the price you know, the quality of wine you're getting here in the United States for the quality that it is, is like, it's unbelievable. These are high quality wines and the winemakers having been able to speak with them, you know, individually and walk their vineyards and have conversations with them. The passion is, you know, off the charts. They, the passion for all of the wines they make, but especially with the Monastrell, this is the home of Monastrell. And the passion they have for this is, is absolutely incredible. So um, we're going to talk into, we're going to get into the, <clears throat> the wineries, the wines themselves in a little bit, but I wanted to give a little bit of introduction to each of the wineries themselves so that um, you can 
kind of see what is going on with them. So the, the first winery that we have is uh, Parajes de, de la Valle. And this is really awesome because the name says it all. It's the landscape of the valley. That is what the name um, means. And the picture here is of the Esperada glass, uh, grass. And while we were tasting, you, that's kind of the, the telltale of that you are tasting this monastrel from Humia, from this region uh, of Humia. It's like, as you smell it, you can, you can, um, it just pops out of the nose and you're like, yes, this is, you know, this is uh, Humia from, from this region. Uh, the winery itself is, uh, has certified organic monastrel grapes, and they all come from vineyards that are at least 15 years old, and they go up to about 40 years old. And they actually uh, go across four plots uh, within the region of Humia. And the kind of cool thing about them is that they have the and Tarahe, the the, the Tarahe system is where they, it's like the vineyards are rented out to the farmers. And they give back 7% of the production in turn for taking care of the vineyards. So it's just showing the relationship between the far the farmers and the winer, the wineries and how they are um, hand in hand working together to create um, fantastic wine. Uh, Bodegas Luzon, uh, these vineyards are located in the north portion of Murcia province. And they are on a very high plateau surrounded by mountains. They're at about 600 meters above and actually uh, some higher than that. And they are focused on very low yields that are processed by individual small plots. So these are one of the larger produce. This is one of the larger producers in, in the DO, but they're also uh, one of the most historic and they actually are dating back to the 19th century. Now, Sierra Norte, uh, this, they have over 50 hectares of bushvine uh, monastrel. So bushvine means that it's growing naturally. There are no, um, you know, they're not using wires. There's no trellis system. And they have vines that are dating back to 1958. And they are... Um, focused on reducing grape yields while increasing biodiversity. And they have been uh, vineyard, uh, organic vineyards since 2012. Uh, however, they're not seeking certification, but they are farming it as organic. And I just like, like to, to be doing the zip lining and the climbing through, through the vineyard or through their site must be a beautiful thing to participate in. Bodegas Ausenio, uh, they just celebrated their 150th anniversary. So happy anniversary. And uh, that was in 2020. And they are actually the first commercial winery in Humia. And they currently mm. are able to produce uh, 3,500,000 liters, which I had to do the math. Uh, so it's about 385,000 cases. And they combine both tradition and modernization. They do cryo maceration in the cellar. So they're, con they're constantly using the latest technology, but then they're also relying back on their tradition. Bodegas Carcello, uh, 
these were the very first, this was the first winery that we met uh, when we went to Humbia. We, we landed, we drove, and we had like a late lunch, early dinner or whatever. And we sat in this beautiful restaurant and they were the first winery that we met. Um, they are a family founded winery in back <clears throat> to 1990. And they are at the foot of the Sierra del uh, Carche, which is where the name is coming from, which is the protected regional park. And its highest peak, uh, the Madama, is over 1,300 meters high. Uh, so they have a very unique climate there because they are very close to the Mediterranean, but they also have an inland plateau. So they're having a traverse of kind of different climates coming together. The estate vineyards are dispersed across five different regions within Humia. So they're getting a lot of different variety of growing conditions to provide into their, you know, to give some complexity into their wines. And they are actually the first winery in Homia to obtain the seal of responsible communication. So they, this is uh, given to companies that are committed to ethical values as well as um, a professional obligation. And then Essentia. Uh, so Essentia Wines has estate vineyards that are located more than 700 meters above sea level. And similar to the Coachella, they have a plot land set aside uh, for kind of research to help always promote the better vineyard styles and, you know, learning the grapes that produce the best and how to work with them to continue to increase the quality. And they have, this was really cool. They have a wine museum, uh, at the at the Hacienda del Carte that um it's Casa de la Hermeta and the museum like we walked through and there was one of the there were a couple of images in there from that museum that just is showing the winemaking history throughout the region with actual you know artifacts from the past so it was really a, an exciting experience to walk through this museum and see the history uh, unfold like where the, where they were living you know where people lived while they were the vineyards were first being grown and the the um, vessels that were being used and all of the different types of ways to open the winery to open the wines it was exciting to see that and then ego bodegas um they i have to go with i, I apologize for calling anybody out but what are the coolest labels ever on one of their wines you take this flame and you do it and it's like a ouija board and the letters change on on the label and it just was a unique thing and they themselves are very unique so in their own words they say that the winery has its beginnings a bit different than other wineries in the region we do not come from a family of winemakers or growers Instead, they basically came from, you know, they wanted to. So she is from Romania. Um, I, Iona, April, am I? Iona. Iona, Iona, okay, is from Romania. And uh, Santos is Spanish origin. And 
uh, by their words, we launched the project doing the opposite to what books tell you what to see in the industry. The idea was simple, to achieve a balance between three concepts of quality, image, price, and then we just buckled down and did the work. So um, it, it was, uh, it's, Kumia has so many family-oriented wineries that have so much tradition, and that is one aspect of it. And then to see this winery come in that is, you know, starting from the very start, uh, you know, from ground up, or actually they say roof down, but uh, it's it was incredible to see, again, the passion that is there and how you can start these wineries with different viewpoints, but the quality is always there. That's always the forefront for me, I think, with Homia wines is that quality. And then the last winery we have is uh, Bodegas Alaveras. Uh, their history dates back to 1930 when uh, Pascual Alaveras Fernandez recognized that Monastrell was ideal for this area in Humia. And their vineyards themselves are located in the northwest corner of Humia Appalachian. They have 275 hectares of vineyards, uh, of which, I'm sorry, hectares of estate, but about 110 hectares are actually planted to um, old, ungrafted monastrel vines. So this is something that's really uh, special also about uh, Humia is that because of the soils that they had, Although phylloxera did hit, there's regions that they have the vines that are actually on their own rootstock. Uh, and that is carrying these old vines all the way through to today. And uh, from then, uh, da, 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 da. so they actually practice the um, Marcatage replanting system, which is kind of cool. They take a vine, when one vine dies off, they're going to let me stop sharing. When uh, one vine, when one uh, vine actually dies off, they take a portion of this vine and they t from the vi vine next to it and they take it, they loop it down and they put it under the ground and they kind of bury it. And then that allows that, that space that lost the vine to now grow another vine, but it's the same DNA. It's the same vineyard. So it's all off of that same rootstock. It's carrying on that tradition of that wine of that vineyard i'm sorry so those are the wineries that across the board i think everybody has had um, that may have in their wine in their glass today and so I, you know i think it's time to see what people have in their glass and then i'll go a little further into some more about homia itself but i, I always think it's time to drink so <laughs> <laughs> so um, does somebody want to start off with a glass a bottle that they have um, in their glass and we can talk about what you're getting out of it and if the winery is here they can go a little more in depth into it Lori can I ask you a question first sure um the pareja system that you mentioned with the first winery where the farmers rent the vineyard land yes are they renting it from the winery or from someone else? So who owns the land? Right. So my understanding, and please correct me if I'm wrong. My understanding is that the uh, <clears throat> the the winery is renting it, and that's why. So they're giving back, like the vineyard workers, the owners, 
are giving back a portion to the winery to make sure that it is tended. Oh, no, I said that backwards. I said that backwards, right? So the the winery owns it, but they want the farmers to tend to them with care. So they tend to it and their payment is like 7% of the the grapes can go back. So they get the, they can make wine is my understanding. Um, okay. oh, that's interesting. Sorry. Yeah, it's a very, very old, old style, you know, it's like from the middle age times when the, um, when the rich people had a lot, a lot of land. Right. So they couldn't actually work at all. They would land some, they would let some land for the workers and in exchange, they had to pay like a fee for using the land, right? But it's a old tradition of, uh, I don't think it's nowadays, right? Uh, it's the, the terraje system, the, as you said correctly, uh, big families own uh, big portions of land and they rent this land to the, the farmers. And uh, as a rent, they pay one seventh part of the yield to the, the owner of the land. So for example, if I yield uh, 7,000 kilograms of grapes, and that makes, uh, I make an example, 700 euros, he has to pay one seven, so 100 euros to the owner of the land. That would be the system, it still exists today. It's very old, it's very uh, out of date, but it still exists. <laughs> Okay. Well, uh, um, Dimitri, you may as well take the chance to say hello and explain the guys who are you. Well, sorry, yes, I, I didn't introduce myself. I, uh, my name is Dimitri. I am the, um, the vineyard manager of uh, Parajes del Valle. Uh, there is a winemaker. And I am responsible of uh, selecting the different vineyards. Many of them are uh, family-owned vineyards and uh, work with the agricultures in order to um, obtain the best quality grapes. We look for a perfect balance, uh, mostly of acidity and alcohol, uh, in order to produce elegant and uh, pure wines, very balanced, where the Monastrel grape is uh, really natural. Does, does anybody have their to. wine? I do, I do not have your wine to taste. Does anybody have their wine that would like to share about it? Let's see. Um, Christy, do, did you? Sorry. I have, I have, I have wines, uh, but not prize. No. Okay. So sorry, we tasted. I had a flu. If my memory serves me correctly, we tasted in your vineyard, correct? Yes. Yes. Right. Can, can you hold up your the lay, your bottle so people can see? Of course. It? This is our Parajes um, from Jumilla. It's a 100% Monastrel. So the, the idea of the project is, um, as Esther said, uh, because of this uh, old system of uh, vineyard, um, we want to keep these kind of vineyards that are not very productive, but produce very quality, very good quality grapes, very balanced and very pure. We look for uh, vineyards that are close to the hills 
So we are 100% sure that they are organic farm. And we have the aromas of the, um, of the Mediterranean herbs like uh, thyme, rosemary, and others. And we keep the minerality of, um, of the terroir because um, humilla, as the name says, parajes, is a lot of microzones. And as we saw in the pictures, there is a lot of hills with more rock, with less rock, with no rock at all. And all these conditions will produce different kinds of grapes. And we want to represent all of them in uh, our wine. So we produce the wine the way that we keep the, the freshness and the pureness of the grape from the vineyard to the, um, to the glass. Excellent. And um, I believe that we take, this is where we went right before the night. And yes, that, sun, that sunset, <laughs> that sunset picture that's at the end of my slide, yeah. that is from your vineyard site. Where that beautiful, that beautiful sky was coming in. That was that. Yes, it, it was really nice, but really cold too. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was a little chilly. It was a little chilly, but that that's okay. Um, and just as a little brief thing for anybody who is new to Humia, right? It is located in um, southeast Spain. It is about 180 miles from Madrid and about 50 miles from the Mediterranean Sea. So they do have that influence. And this, and this, I saw that Rick just came on or, or Chris something. This was kind of the, one of the coolest things uh, that I, you know, uh, stood out to me when I was um, taking the Spanish Wine Scholar Program is that Jumilla is actually a super autonomous region. So what that means is that the region is divided between two other regions. So there is um, Castilla-La Mancha, there's parts of Jumilla and Castilla-La Mancha, and then in Murcia. And there's only two other autonomous regions that do, there's only other two other regions that do that. So Rioja and Cava. So that kind of is a nice little standout for Jumilla, is that this is something special about them. And the, the, there's a large portion of land in the Castilla-La uh, Mancha region, but the larger portion of vineyards is under the is in the Murcia Murcia region. So it separates between these two autonomous regions, and it is actually consists of seven towns uh, divided up to make up this Humia region. So it's you know there's so much special and unique things about Humia that people should be exploring. Dimitri, okay. you mentioned um, using organic grapes. How difficult or not is it to farm organically here? Oof, actually, I, I wouldn't know the exact uh, proportion of organic and non-organic, but it's quite common. It's not uh, a strange thing because uh, the weather conditions here are very good for organic farming. It's not a difficult thing. Um, mm -hmm. Many families started in the early 1990s, so it's not something new here. And some people are not uh, organic certified, but they don't apply any treatment to the vineyard because they don't need to. So 
Sometimes there are vineyards that are not uh, organic certified. We can't use them for organic wines, but nevertheless, uh, they are still, um, pro the grapes are still produced like an organic farming. So Katie, um, in my reading, uh, it is estimated that there is 70% of the vineyards are actually um, certified to be organic. Wow. So and it is definitely something that they are dedicated mm -hmm. to. That's true that, that we have to think one thing is when the, the actually to work uh, non-organic uh, is more costly because organic is just uh, letting the vineyard uh, follow the seasons and follow the, the, the time the time. So if you don't need to use uh, specific uh, systemics, uh, you don't use them. It's as simple as that. So it's very easy to believe uh, we work organically. Uh, mostly we we can say um, for fact uh, more than 70%, but we know we are 90, 98% organical vineyards uh, just oh. because it's not needed to, to use uh, systemic. We don't have uh, much um, uh, infections and when we have them, they go away very easy uh, because also it's very windy and it's a very, very little humidity here. So the illnesses of the plants uh, don't grow and don't develop as much and we can treat uh, our problems very located. Uh, no need to do big uh, big investment in in systematic um, non-organic. So that's a bit the reason why. I mean, it's, for us, it's not an effort to work organically. It's just keeping nature. Great. Thank you. And so I have a glass. I have a glass. So, and I think that they are here. So, Bodegas Cachero. Oh. Do we have? Yes, Elio? there's Elio. Hi, Elio. Elio. Can you hear me? Is Hi, it working? Hello. Hello. <laughs> yes. Hello. Hello. I have the same model than you. Ah, <laughs> we are lucky. <laughs> I thought yes, you had drinking already, no? I thought. <laughs> no, we can yes. try. You still have some left, Laurie. You haven't drinking already. I do. <laughs> I, I didn't. I was. I, it was very difficult to not sit. Really, I was just sniffing. <laughs> she, 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 she traveled with her Coravin all the way from California. I did, because <laughs> I, I wanted to make sure I could take the bottles back. I didn't want to leave them here. <laughs> Okay. Okay. So, so, Elio, you want to talk about this? Tell us, tell us, so, Elio, because um, we've, we've got a couple of folks here have your wines and um, love to hear from you what you have to say. So, okay, let me. I, I presented uh, a Shira wine. It's not the Monastrel. Uh, because I, I thought that you were going to have a lot of Monastrel. So, why not something different? There's something special on this, on this wine. Uh, I'm sorry that not many people can test it now, but I, I'm sure you will have the chance. So, on the year 1996, this company, Bodegas Carcello, was the one that introduced the Syrah grape on the southeast of Spain. And that year was in, introduced uh, uh, also on the, on the DOP Jumille, DO, on that time. It's a variety that on the moment in which it was brought to this uh, terrain, to this weather, it's something, it was something on the mind of the people, not on me, I was too young at that moment, that they were thinking that this weather and this terrain was going to give something special to a variety that was already working very well on many different places. 
the clone that was brought to this area was the one that was working very well on the south of French. And the result that we are getting now with this style of wine, the weather, have in mind that Humilla used to have 300 sunny days every year. The urinal temperature used to be over 15 degrees. And the vineyards that we are cultivating are more or less on 600, 650 meters. So with those facts, we have mm -hmm. the maturation of the grapes, for sure, we are on Humilla. The problem is not get to the maturation, it's to be over the maturation almost every year. So we have the maturation, the color, and the acidity because of the urinal high temperature that we have every day. And at the end, what we get with a wine of this style, instead of everything that you are looking on a wine with the acidity, with the Syrah, with the berries, it's an amazing good final. Once you enjoy the beginning and the full of mouth that you get with this wine, at the end, you have something very, very, very smooth. So we are able to produce just because we are here. It's not more secrets. Just try to do the things correct. A wine that is very, very gastronomic. So you can pair with even a rice or a soft plate. Recommended even with fish. It's something very special for, for this style of wine. We are producing this wine from a single vineyard. It's on, I don't know my camera. Mm -hmm. It's it only one vineyard for this wine. I think I have any filter. So uh, the label. What we try to do in here is to show the vineyard on the bottle. We cannot show you everything. So what we have sometimes when the camera is stopped. <laughs> here is a lift of the Shiraz plant, of one of the Shiraz plants of the vineyard that we are producing for this vintage. We are not using this, we are not changing this picture every year because it's very difficult to find a lift that we can picture on a correct way, but we used to change it every couple of years. So we refresh the label usually. It's a wine that has been awarded with more than 90 points everywhere, everywhere where we presented. And it's something special that we had on Humilla with this wine. We, we, we have a, a competition of wines or a taste of wines, a, a guide, a little guide. And we presented the Syrah, the vintage 2015, and it was the winner of the Crianzas wines at all. So it's a wine that people who is accustomed to drink monastrel wine is even able to enjoy and enjoy very much. So I challenge you to test it. You don't have the body, we can send you the next time <laughs> or the following days. <laughs> um, I, well, let's see, Kat, um, Elio, I think, well, um, um, Lauren, would you like to comment? You, re you received this wine. Would you like to I say anything? Did. And I would love to talk about this wine because I enjoyed it so very much. Um, first of all, that it was Syrah was a surprise and, and a nice one. Um, I found it, what was so appealing about it is that the, there was a lot of ripe fruit, um, berry, cherry, you know, really luscious, but there was a freshness and the acidity that kept everything so balanced and it was delicious with food and I thought it just sort of spoke to Humia's unique um, character as a region where you're in a very warm part of Spain, but you have this elevation and you have other climatic factors that keep the wines fresh 
and light. And um, despite the high alcohol and, and the structure, there is a freshness to them that really is delicious. So thank you for making this wine, Helio. It was beautiful. <laughs> thank you, Lord. Just one point. If we were talking about the organic wine. Uh, it's two things of mine for, for the organic wine. Organic wine, for me, is something that is organic. But for the market, it's something that you have certified. Mm -hmm. We started with, with a certification on the year 2019. And the vintage that we have now for testing is not certified, even if it is. But we are going to get the certification from the vintage 2019 or 20. So only it's going to be organic grape, not organic wine. Excellent. So as, yeah, as you can see right there, like Monastrell is kind of the the queen of Humia, but wineries are able to produce other wines. And with the with this is a Syrah, so it demonstrates the the diversity that they can do. And with the Monastrell, we have we have lots of wineries that do 100 percent Monastrell. And then we have wineries that are doing blends. And I think a lot of this has to do with the, they're all looking for that brightness, like Lauren was talking about, that that freshness, that, you know, the acidity that's there in all the wines. And each winemaker is approaching it in different ways to create this, to create this style of wine. Helio um, had mentioned about the, the temperature and there is act, there was an article in the um, Ames Agriculture and Food back in 2016 that talks about the diversity of the climate in Spain in itself. But they did their research in Jumia, uh, I believe, with in association with you. And the research predicted that in uh, southeastern uh, uh, peninsula that it is affected by harsher environmental changes and that the records in the Sagrora River Basin uh, during the periods of 1940 to 1997 showed a pronounced tendency for rising temperatures starting in 1970. And it is actually predicted by uh, 2050 that the rise in temperature in Hubia uh, in the region will uh, rise to be um, area to be two point to minus 2.3 or change to 2.3 degrees Celsius while you're also losing your precipitation, which is already very low. They're predicting that the precipitation will be um, down by 15%. And your, you know, Coachella was uh, talked very specifically about the help with the research with this project. I'm, I'm assuming it was dealing with that the research plot that you have. For me, it, for uh, if I can share yeah. my, my opinion here about the weather change, every year is different. I cannot say if it's a change on the weather or not because every year is, is something different here. I think everywhere. About the water, we have a big problem. And we are going to have a bigger problem. The plants, even the monastrel, you say monastrel is with not irrigation. Yes. When I was a kid and I was with my grandfather on the vineyard, the monastery was with no irrigation, but the liter of water that the rain was giving to the plant was three times what we have now. Mm -hmm. So it's not the same to have not irrigation plant adapted 
to not raining that to almost not raining and you can see how the plants are giving less and less grape every year or different kind of grapes every year uh, we have a uh, vineyards and we produce on our own vineyards and a year specialized like this one that was very very warm and almost no raining for ours was a uh, 40% less on the harvest same work same cost same people same mind looking for the wine not for the grapes 40% less yeah. it's something that you can find on a year like this one what happened if this year amazingly start raining a little bit just a little bit we don't really need a lot Pro probably we are going to have more than that 40 percent next year so it's something that we are taking very well and what we are doing is going up and upper and upper mm -hmm. in the mountain so far what we have on the Carches valley is the the vineyard that is in border with the mountain mm -hmm. so as in the mountain as we can be and probably that is the point mm -hmm. going to places with more humidity more than water more more humidity because it's something that we used to have on the carpet valley on the hills mm -hmm. and it's a uh, humidity in the morning so in the morning sometimes you go there and you are not even able to see the mountain that used to be very scary for the winemakers because if you have that point of humidity in the morning, what the plants used to have everywhere is some contamination and some disease. On Jumilla, we don't have it. Why we don't have it? Because the humidity here used to be at 20, 30 percent. And it's a place with uh, a lot of wind. So it's a windy place, no humidity. And if you have humidity in the morning, the plants drink it, the sun suns, and then it gets clean and dry. So it's not contamination. It's not problems of nutritis uh, or that kind of things. Mm -hmm. It's something special of the place. Again, we are not doing something special. The place is doing something special for us. What we are looking for is for the best place to do the cultivation or to adapt or move the, the plants. Mm -hmm. And it's the single thing we can do because we cannot invent the water and we have what we have. Right. Right. Um, that's um, it's funny we're, we're discussing this because one of the topics I wanted to bring up during this discussion was about climate change and how Humia is mitigating uh, the, the problems with climate change. And the fact that uh, the native varietal of Monastrel is actually beneficial to the region because it is adapted to to its specific unique environment. Um, and, the, and it's nice to hear from you. What are you what are you doing in the vineyard to to deal with climate change? And that is heading for the hills, literally, um, because of the altitude. Um, so it's, it's, it's good to hear what, what's going on in your end. Um, and speaking of Monastrel, I was thinking maybe we could uh, talk about 100% Monastrel from yeah. Alto, Altos de Luzon. Yes. Yeah. And Ramon, you want to talk about that and see and tell us about okay. Uh, you want to I don't know. Yeah, I was. Yeah, I was. I was hoping. I was hoping first to to listen to some of the you know the bloggers or the the tasters in this case. Uh, you know to give us the feedback on that. I don't know. Maybe you can. Sure. I don't know, Lauren or I don't know who tasted. Uh, I was checking. I think. Uh, well, it's um Katie, Katie and Lauren and um. And Lori, Katie, yeah, yeah, Lori, yeah. Lori, they all, they okay. all uh, have your wine. So, 
and Rick. I was very much looking forward to Rick to uh, the car. He came back. Well. Hearing from them, really about the feedback and everything, it would be interesting to know. <laughs> so, uh, I have the wine here as well. Okay, okay. go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead, go ahead, go Christy. Ahead. Um, it's really fresh on the nose. The aromatics are really pronounced. And it's a combination to me of some like black fruits and red fruits, but also some like dusty, herbaceous, um, maybe thyme or, or something sagey, but something mm -hmm. kind of that green leafy garden herbaceousness to it mm -hmm. on the nose, but so fresh. Um, haven't tasted it yet. I've been sitting here smelling these wines, but, but definitely very fresh on the nose. And the same, I, I think like Lauren mentioned earlier about the Syrah, it has that, that acidity-ness, that acidity that comes through, especially mid-palate here. It's having a hard time talking because it's creating so much moisture mm -hmm. in my mouth. Right. Um, so that acidity is so bright and refreshing and the fruits um, really come through and it's got like a, a hint of almost, um, I want to say like a kind of citrus zest on the finish to me. There's like a, a hint of citrus zest on the finish not overpowering on oak at all. Um, I don't know the production of this one. I haven't looked at the text sheet yet. Um, so I don't know if this was in oak or not, but it's, I'm not getting any kind of extracted oak. This is the fruit is fresh. The acidity is fresh. The spices come through on that herbaceous spice spiciness. Um, super easy to drink. And it's making me, me crave some, I don't know, some pork or some meat or, or something nice and hefty for, for the holiday season. I think this is uh, mm -hmm. just a beautiful wine. Okay. Oh, that's good. <laughs> Glad you like it. Uh, <laughs> I, do. I don't know. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. What's up? Okay. I'm going to talk a little bit and then maybe um, uh, some of the others can, can say something about it and everything. Yeah. I mean, um, Alto Zuluzon always has been the, the flagship of the, of the winery and especially in the US market as well, but in many of the markets for sure. Uh, you know, it's like we, we had, you know, this wine uh, presented in many, many countries and all. So, but it's true, uh, our winemaker, uh, Vicente, Vicente Mico, uh, decided to, to change the blend because this wine for many, many years used to be Monastrel uh, Tempranillo and Cabernet Sauvignon, 50% Monastrel and then Tempranillo Cabernet Sauvignon 25-25. And he changed the blend, I mean, to a single, single variety uh, uh, wine, 100% uh, Monastrel. He wanted to focus on the monastrel as the, the you know indigenous grape in the region and stuff and also um vicente uh, i mean when he, when he started making these wines and everything uh, has changed uh, the wines a lot i mean for 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 the ones uh, here you know our wines uh, many years ago before vicente uh, started making the wines and everything and now they are you know uh, more fresh we, we're looking for more you know acidity easier to drink mm -hmm. And also something you already you already said as well in, uh, on your feedback is like uh, they are more easy to drink, I would say, than before for sure. And 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 the fruit is is, is more there and everything. That this is one of the aims we wanted to do. I mean, it's like the oak is less predominant as well. This wine has been in oak for twelve months, uh, French and American oak. But it is true. Um, it is true. That, I mean, uh, probably in Spain. Uh, many years ago, and this is changing, we used to use, overuse oak, overuse the oak and everything. And now this is changing, and this is one example of uh, what <laughs> we do now uh, at Bodegas Luzon. And with these wines made, we do 100% Monastrel. As I said, Vicente wanted to do 
went to make um, a 100% monastrel with oak and giving a good example of what we can do uh, with the with monastrel with oak. And this is a good example and something more approachable. It is true we are what we are uh, and, you know, the alcohol is there, it's 14.5 and stuff, but it's true at some point you, 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 you couldn't tell. I mean, it's like, <clears throat> it's quite approachable and easy to think. And, you know, it's more modern style, especially when we talk about... Uh, aging i mean you know kind of stuff so this is probably the aim of this wine so i don't know so yeah pretty much is what we're trying to do <laughs> i think yeah. i think it is so bright um you know it's the bright the red fruit the and the acidity it just salivates your tongue which to me is you know begging you to take another sip and also it allows you to enjoy it really on its own, but because of that, the the flavors that are in there, the the acidity that are in there, it can pair with, uh, you know, it can stand up to a lot of food also, and that is the that to me is the perfect balance. And mm-hmm. Monastrel, uh, you know, because of the way it it's got s- such a high concentration of anthocyanins in it, um, it it can be it can be brutish. It can, it can be kind of rough and it's the winemaking style that, that Humia is focusing in on that. This is, this is elegant. This is, this is a pretty wine. It's not, it's not an in your face tannin because it can have a lot of tannins and it's, it's tamed down with that acidity and that acidity balances out that alcohol you don't guess that it's that high of an alcohol mm-hmm. when, yeah. when it's that balanced of a wine. I think as well, uh, because as far as I know, you are tasting the 2020 and we are quite happy with this vintage. Uh, I remember uh, in October when we were in New York, we had, because now we are uh, changing the vintage really pretty much. So I remember in New York, we had some 19 and some 20. And I remember tasting the, 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 the 20 there and, you know, we were... Uh, so so um, impressed with the 2020. We are quite happy. I think uh, it's the best so far uh, right now. And, uh, you know, uh, you are testing that one. So we are starting to sell that vintage in, in the US now. So hopefully, um, 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 you know, more people will enjoy and everything. So we're quite happy. We're quite happy with what we got. I think Vicente, the winemaker, uh, has been doing a really great job with this wine. And now probably we are in the, you know, in the peak of that uh, that uh, really good quality and exactly what um, he wanted to do with this wine. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Good. With that. Um, Katie, would you yeah. like to say something? Cause you received one. Yeah. So I just piggyback on honestly what both Christy and Lori said. I, I, the word elegant came to my mind before Lori said it. And I'd never really paired that with Monastrell before. Um, but this is an elegant wine. And it does have that fresh herbaceousness on the nose and a really nice finish. Um, and sometimes I think at this price point, when I find balanced red wines that are really approachable, enjoyable, the thing that's lacking for me is often the finish. Um, there's either a short finish or something slightly unpleasant about the finish. And that's kind of the telltale for me that maybe this is just a value wine. This has an amazing finish and I was trying to sneak a peek at the price. I don't like to do that, but I'm sure it's it's a great value. So yeah. I think it's it's a wonderful, wonderful wine. 
and I hope I can find it around here. So I have to take a look. Lauren, did you want to mention anything as well? Well, I, I really enjoyed this wine also. Um, Monastrell is not usually what I would consider um, delicate. Um, in many cases, this was very well balanced and it was an amazing food wine. Um, my husband and I had um, made some stuffed portobello mushrooms with oh, perfect. Some sun-dried yeah. tomatoes and things. And it was, it was a big hit. So yeah, another really nice wine here. Terrific. Terrific, terrific. Um, why don't we move on to the next uh, wine that I think would make a good inter uh, next step would be the Hacienda del Carche, because we could talk about blends. How's that? Okay. All right. Um, let's see, uh, Lauren, uh, uh, Katie, you've got the Hacienda del Carche, and uh, Rick did too. He's on the, he's listening, um, <laughs> he's in the car. So, um, sorry, can you uh, say that which one again? Hacienda del Carche from Esencia, Esencia, ah. correct? Um, Isidoro, we yes, have, lovely. would you like to, um, give us a little introduction? Sorry, I... <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Okay. I am well, great to be here with you guys. Uh, sorry for the voice, I'm like you, April, I had the flu. <laughs> It's going around oh, here, so it's, uh, uh, this is why I hope to have a little extra hour. I thought I could nap, but uh, I guess I was <laughs> wrong with the timing. Um, yeah, I think I got to, so you have there the Cepas Viejas, uh, the old vines. Um, I guess you do have the, the new vintage. And therefore, um, what we have here is a 70% Monastrel, 30% um, Cabernet Sauvignon. Um, basically, what we're trying to do is... Uh, approach the wine with all vines, so you have a lot of extractions. We are planting uh, the highest vines of the property, so we go for the hot, uh, colder winters, or hotter summers, uh, you know, suffering, making the, the vines to suffer, so they, they struggle and they make better wines. You know, they grow the extra, the grapes grow with that extra layer, extra extra thickness of the skin, where you have all the standings, beautiful ones, but then you have to mine them all up. And what you mine them with is the, the beautiful uh, mono, um, the French oak, uh, so we uh, aged them for 12 months in French oak. We use um, um, second year use uh, oak, second year oak. So it doesn't overwhelm because you want to give that uh, softness and touch from the French oak, the coffee, the, the roasty notes, but you don't want to overwhelm. You, have, you want the fruit to be uh, full, uh, full forward. You know, you want it to be up front. So it's pleasant to, to approach the wine. So on the nose, you're going to find that. You're going to find the, the typical uh, notes from the monastery which is uh, that um, uh, black currant you're going to have the, the spices like the the black pepper but then you have the one the cabernet sauvignon which is giving the structure of the wine it's giving more the spine of it and also that uh, black pepper um and uh, and uh, again black fruit but uh, some eucalyptus notes and some herbaceous that's all, all going on together it's a pretty pretty soft uh, when drinking very easy to drink as well so as Ramon said with the uh, Altos de Luzon, which uh, we know each other and we know the, the winery, uh, what we try to do is uh, modern wines, try to do wines that are really easy to drink, uh, giving all uh, the different profiles from, you know, the aging and the, the, the tradition that uh, Humilla can offer. I don't know if somebody said it here, but uh, we're talking about a region that's been growing. Vitis vinifera was found here 5,000 years ago, and that's no joke. Uh, so we had to put that in place too. I mean, this is a very traditional area, uh, growing grapes and making wine with them for, for centuries, millennials. 
So um, what we take that, we take what nature gave us. Um, I believe uh, Elio said it perfectly too. I mean, nature help us. We don't, we don't do nothing for nature. It's nature helping us. It's nature giving us the tools. It's giving us the mm -hmm. soil. You know, those sandy soil that's not the philosopher at the time, uh, giving us uh, that uh, rocky uh, uh, limestone uh, ground that will keep the humidity, the very, very little humidity we have. And then what we have here is all vines. And the highest point was, so we have these vines suffering, trying to get water. They don't hide it. They don't find it. So they're digging deep the roots. And what they find is these beautiful mineralities on the glass too, because the minerality they are shows. Uh, basically, that is the wine. The wine is tradition, but it's also approaching the new market. And it's a monastery, uh, it's a pure sense of uh, spices and black uh, fruit, and then the, 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 the spine, the structure from the Cabernet Sauvignon, and that friendly approach for the American market also. I mean, you guys, American, I mean, we all know it. Cabernet Sauvignon is the king here or the queen. And then when you approach and you feel that on the nose, it's like, oh, I, I know this one. It's like recognizing an old friend. It's like, uh, I, I think I've seen you before. And that's what we want to approach mm. with this glass. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I think you definitely achieve that. And Thank I think the struggling old vines reflect themselves in the concentration of the wine and a really rich, opulent nose and the small percentage of Cabernet Sauvignon. I think if I told someone who was not really familiar with Monastrell or Spanish wines, even in general, if I told them this was a high-end Napa Cab, I think it could be passed off as that. That's the best compliment in that... this country, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> but it has that approachability that I love from your the wines of your region, where you can drink this as 2020 now, and it's very enjoyable. It doesn't need to be you know decanted for half a day or aged for a decade in a cellar. So no, I that's the funny. That that's the funny part. A lot of people ask me, "How long can you keep this wine?" I don't keep it. We keep it for you. We put it in the market <laughs> so you can drink it. Just have another bottle tomorrow. <laughs> exactly. And I think that's what people want is wines they can buy and drink now. It's pretty rare that some, a very, very small percentage of the market wants to buy a wine and hold it for even a year, needless to say, five, 10, 20 years. So I think that's what's, that's what people are looking for. So mm -hmm. I think it's great that you provide that. Mm -hmm. I think it's like something uh, like 78% of the population, at least in the United States, purchases a wine and drinks it within 48 hours of bringing it home. Yep. So, exactly. Exactly. Absolutely. Exactly. It's a, it's a really pragmatic country. Why would I keep it at home if you can keep it for me in a special, you know, in the perfect <laughs> conditions? Yeah. Why, why would I? Yeah. How about the finish? Okay. Because that's another thing we were trying to, because this is meant to be pairing with food. I mean, these uh, bold wines are perfect for food pairing. And if you have all these spices going on, I mean, obviously you can drink it by itself, but uh, I think it's great to have it for food because as you all know, food is enhanced by wine, I believe. So a lot of people ask me here if uh, we drink in Spain every day, like, no, we drink what we want to. And we normally want to drink when we're eating. So yes, every day, yeah, every by day. just a glass <laughs> in moderation. So uh, that finish is also happening. If you have that retronasal, you know, aftertaste is there. So while you're eating, you have it there. And then, then it's very naturally on your machine mm -hmm. here. No sense. How do you feel about that, the, the, the aftertaste? What do you feel about it? Yeah, I think it has a really nice, soft, smoky finish that 
is very pleasant and definitely brings you back for another sip. So kudos on that. There you go. Good. Thank you. Excellent. Excellent. Um, so why not, we're, since we're on blends now, why don't we um, eh, and have uh, Echo Bodegas yes. tell us about, um, let's, let's start with the Infinito because um, that's the one that most of you guys have. Uh, and this is truly, well. this is truly a blend because this is yes. 70% Monastrel, 20% Syrah, 5% Petite Verdot, and uh, 5% Cabernet Sauvignon. Okay. Are they on? Shane? <laughs> Shane, Shane's Shane. here, right? Shane. Hi, Shane. Hi, Shane. Maybe she's just, she was uh, before she there, was, but yeah. she's just uh, gone to toilet or something. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to ask uh, to Laurie, actually, about the, um, the museum. Did you actually visit the Hacienda del Carche Wine Museum? I'm sorry, Shane. Yes. Yes, yes, we walked through it. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, we, you saw the, the entire, you get to see the entire process of, of making wine dating wine. back 100 years ago. So you got to see um, the, the, the tools that they used to work with. I, what I found really fascinating was the, uh, the soil, the soil samples. Yeah. The, the layers of soil. I think that's really important. Um, and then you kind of go through the, and then, then they add for us as well. Um, but I think, I think the soil, like being able to see that, it's like, oh, okay, now I understand because when you have those, those old vines, the, they call it P.A. Franco, right? Okay. The, the original rootstock that just kind of like, you know, the roots that just go down and down and down looking for the aquifer, it goes through layers and layers and layers of soil. So that just I mean, this lends more to the complexity of the wines. Um, yeah, and speaking it, of, it of P.A. Franco. Cool. Right, um, we have we, a P.A. Franco, right? Yeah, Somebody yeah. has some? Who's got a Pia Franco? We've got um. There was a Pia Franco in the mix, and I wanted to bring that up too because I found that really um is is, is a fantastic um just element you don't really see much of in uh, other uh, wine regions of Spain of the Pia Franco, the original rootstock, ungrafted. Right. Um and and I was hoping that we could talk a little bit about okay, that. Right. So that yes. that is another unique thing about Humia again with the with not having so much impact from the phylloxera because of the soils, because of the wind, because of everything that their climate is, they're able to have these own rooted monastrel vines. So they're dating all the way back. And so the term for own rooted is Franco. And so it's, it just goes to show that the history and the tradition of these wines. And it's, it's an important thing to have these vines and be able to keep them go, keep them living and continuing with them. And uh, Christy, I think you were talking about the old vines and that concentration. And that is Monastrel, that concentration. And we talked about the, the you know, there's three basic ways that the winemakers are um, giving the Americans really what, you know, that brighter fruit that they want. And that's either mm -hmm. by the blending or by um, picking earlier, okay, or by the processing. So we have different ways of processing it, bringing in, you know, like a carbonic maceration versus whole cluster. And, you know, they're bringing them in and they're processing them separately and, and blending them. Still 100% monastrel, but blending the processing. So, um, did we find somebody who has the Pia Franco? Um, I don't know. I don't see one here yet. I tell you what, why don't we, um, if you don't mind, 
How, uh, Sierra Norte. Sierra Norte. Oh, yes. Would you, would you like to talk to, about uh, your Equilibrio number nine? Because Katie received a bottle of, of that because you're located in the D.C. area. Uh, okay. So I think um, the name of the wine, Equilibrio, very well explains the philosophy we have behind the wine. Okay. And I think the idea of the owner and the winemaker of the winery it was to make a wine that is very well balanced. Like all the different components of the wine are very well balanced. And that's why we like to harvest a little bit earlier. So we have a higher acidity, we have more freshness in the wine, we have a lower alcohol, and even the, the aromas of the wine are fresher. So the Equilibrio 9, so we make three different Equilibrio wines. And the ones you got the sample, it was the, it was the high end, it was the Equilibrium 9. So this is 100% Monastrel, and we use all vines from 40 to over 70-year-old bush vines, uh, organic farming, as my colleagues were explaining. I mean, in this region, it's very easy to be organic. It's like mother nature is in our side. So the farming is 100% organic and the wines are also organic certified. So the wine is 100% monastrel, as I was explaining, all vines, organic farming, and the wine was aged in barrels for nine months. So that's why the name of the wine is Equilibrio 9. And we use both. We use uh, French and American oak barrels. It's mostly French, though. What we are trying to achieve here is for the for the aromas from the oak to be well integrated into the wine to complement like everything that comes from the monastrel grapes. Mm. So you find a lot of uh, ripe black fruit, freshness as well, uh, dry herbs aromas, and balsamics balsamic notes, mint, and the acidity is there, okay? So it keeps the, once again, it keeps the wine well-balanced, good body, good structure, and that's what we were aiming to. Well, so I, how um, did the tasting go? There we go. So we had Lauren, um, uh, Lauren from New York. She's in New York and in Florida. And yeah. um, Katie, who's in D.C., Okay. Um, those, those two are, that are here presently um, received your your wine. So we get um, uh, love to hear from from what you have to say, um, Lauren. If you want to go ahead yeah. and I'll go back to Katie and. Okay, sure. Um, I think of all the wines that I tasted, this one was more intense. Um, there was a lot of complexity there, um, and. Not unlike the others, um, on the finish, I noted a little tiny hint of a raisiny uh, note. And, and with all of the ripe black fruit, it reminded me a little bit of an Amarone. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, just a really, um, just super complex, big wine. And we paired it with a charcuterie platter with a bunch of different hams and, and cheeses. And it was really great, especially with the strong cheeses. Um, you know, I, I think especially at the price point, I mean, this was a, a really um, intense wine. And if you'd like things like Amarone or Ripasso or anything like that, um, mm -hmm. you definitely enjoy this wine too. <laughs> 
I just want to say, Lauren, I want to come eat at your house. You're making me very hungry. (laughs) Your portobellos, your charcuterie. Like, I'm in. (laughs) Anytime, anytime. Okay. um, Kaya, what would would you think? I mean, I think think you chose a really great name for the wine because coming in, I was already thinking balance Mm -hmm. with the equilibrio, equilibrium balance. And that is that is something that I'm always looking for in wines is a perfect balance. And I think a lot of us look for that, um, especially in red wines that we know are going to be bigger, higher alcohol. Um, finding the balance can be difficult sometimes, especially again at this price point, which everyone keeps coming back to. But I think because it is really that difficult at this price point to find. And I think this is a, does a beautiful job at that. This is, something I I could also see myself eating with a charcuterie and cheese board. I could see myself mm-hmm. drinking this with many different things, um, which um yeah, I'll I'll leave the cooking to Lauren because <laughs> that is not my strong suit. Um, but I could imagine many, many things that I would order at restaurants going very well with this. Um it is it is really well balanced and beautiful. Mm, thank you. And I agree with you. You know, I think we Spaniards, we drink wine with food. So we like to make our wines in a very food friendly way. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, so personally, I don't actually eat much red meat at all. And okay. so, but when I go out to eat or with my husband, most people do like to eat red meat. So I, again, look for these wines that someone who's having steak would really enjoy but mm-hmm. for me if I'm having chicken or even a sort of meatier fish like a salmon something like that they could go equally well with my meal and that's a challenge sometimes but I could this I think would be great for that mm-hmm. I agree <laughs> Does anybody else like to comment on the wine because it'd be nice to hear about infinito that so to me I think that it's got the the that characteristic of that that herbs that that come out to me in in humia um but it, again it, it's a it's a dark it's a darker fruit to me it has a little bit more gripping tan- tannin uh than than the previous ones uh but the finish is still you know it it softens as the finish comes along which is showing that acidity that is in there but i i I love that the the rosemary, the thyme, that little bit of balsamic that mm-hmm. is in there um, that I am getting from there. Um, and just to to help Jay, since we can't hear her, so these <laughs> oh, are these are forty um, year old vines, and they're located at ninety meters above sea level, and they are harvested in small batch and. Uh, they're my my guess is that they're kept separate um, during vinification, and um, the coupage is made. So the blend is made based on the characteristics of each of the varietals to create a perfect balanced wine. So the the infinito and Shane like not if I'm if I'm going in the right direction. <laughs> um, the blend it, all of the the the. Uh, varieties are harvested by hand. They are maintained separately for vinification. And then when it comes time to blending, 
They are tasting, sampling each of the individual blends for the Infinito. So every vintage, it might be a different blend because they are picking out the best, uh, the best combinations of those individual vinified wines to create this total package of a wine. So they're looking for, you know, that, that um, front palate, mid palate and finish in order to blend together. So it is different in each vintage. Yes, I think um, both um, Infinito and Goru are quite uh, available now in the US. You can find it uh, many places. Uh, so also you had to taste El Goru, right? El Goru Gold? Yes. Oh, the Goru Gold, yes. So from the also from the Ego Winery. Um, Katy, well, Katy, I don't know if she is busy now, <laughs> but uh, I think she she could taste it, and uh, well, I think it's quite different different wine, not to Infinito. It's a it's a it's a different blend, um, right? So the the <laughs> Goru Gold is Monastrel, Cabernet Sauvignon, and Syrah, mm -hmm. and then the Infinito had the Petit Petit Verdot. Correct. I have the Goru Gold. <laughs> <laughs> okay so um uh, lauren you want to tell us about the goro gold um i don't know that did i have that one I, or I was, who said who said i had goro gold oh I sorry oh, pardon me. yeah no it's go okay ahead. yeah go ahead no, go ahead sorry it's a similar blend yeah it is i've got let's see 80 percent monastrel 15 syrah and five cabernet sauvignon Mm -hmm. um, it's interesting how much the Cabernet Sauvignon comes through for me on this. It's really kind of cool to see. Um, and so different than the, the single varietal Monastrels as well. This one definitely um, has more of that black fruit flavor to it. Um, and it's got more, I, I don't want to say, it has more structure than the one I just had, but it, it's it's bigger and, and just kind of, uh, it needs to open a bit. And it is opening as it's been in the glass for probably a while now, um, but it's definitely like starting to come to life and those aromas are really coming out. Um, but definitely more of the black fruit here. Like I said, to get more of that Cabernet Sauvignon hint in there with the Monastrel, mm -hmm. still mm -hmm. has that freshness. The acidity is still there. It's still very fresh. Yeah. And it's got that, some of that spice. Some, I want to say baking spice to it. Um, a little bit of maybe even tobacco leaf there. So again, I think it's that Cabernet coming through, but it still has that, that kind of brightness and that lift from the monastrel, especially in that mid-pellet acidity again. Um, and like everyone has said, this, these are such food-friendly wines. And I think the takeaway for me from all of this is just how, how diverse it is. Um, I think people kind of tend to think that monastrel tends to be, you know, like we've said, big and boisterous and and just kind of similar and always needs food. But across the board, I have three different wines here that are all very different. Um, so I think they express, you know, what it can do in blends, what it can do on its own. And it's just really, you can get so many different things out of each one that it's, you know, it's like apples and oranges. It's the same variety, but depending on where it's come from, how it's made, um, you know, the age of the vines and then the production process, it's it's really, you compare it with so many different things and it has its own unique representation in each bottle, which I find just really kind of incredible. Mm -hmm. so that's my biggest takeaway from all of this, but it's it's fun to see in a blend. I haven't had a blend from Humia before. This is my first. Um, and so it's really cool to see how it plays with the other grape varieties. And, oh, and a little bit of the black pepper, which I'm assuming is from the Syrah because that's mm -hmm. coming through on the finish now as well. Uh, can I ask you a question since you said, is, is it allowed? Is it okay? 
Yeah. Um, yeah Christy, sure. um, you just said that there is a uh, perception of the monastery as being bold. Uh, mm -hmm. You used before also the, the work here, Ralph. Yeah. Uh, so what, what, yeah. what do you think that comes from? Because uh, we are producing modern wines for over 20 years now. So why is it still there sticking in the mind of the consumer that uh, I, you know, the perception of, yeah. okay, I'm going to find this in a bottle of wine. And maybe that is uh, something that is stopping them from trying anymore as well. Yeah, I think honestly, I think it's, you know, everybody knows Monastrella Mouved there. I mean, it's, it's a big grape. It's a dark skin thick skinned grape. And so I think that's kind of the perception, at least in terms of those of us that go through wine education, that's what we're taught about it. Um, <clears throat> from the consumer end, I think it's more just a matter of exposure and being able to try different styles of this wine. Um, you know, Humia is, it's hard to find in the store still, you know, you get a lot of Rioja and Ribera um, and Humia is, you know, you've got to kind of dig for it. So I think it's a matter of educating the consumers and, and letting them know what's out there and the variety that's out there and the stories behind these wines. Um, I think that's the biggest piece. And, and then also educating the educators as well. You know, like I said, we're taught that it's a thick skinned grape, that it's, you know, dark and inky and part of blends. Um, so I think it's a matter of just education and the more communication we get out there about it the the better it'll be um and it's hard because there is a lot of i mean there's a lot of varieties out there there's a lot of producers out there and so it's a matter of you know positioning and how to tell the story but i think kumia has a, a fantastic one given the price points um given the history given the quality um there's a lot of good things to say thanks and if i can piggyback on christy i think one of the reasons is um first of all we are taught thick skin. Thick uh -huh. skin equals tannin. Uh -huh. Tannin equals drying, big, bold wine. Uh -huh. uh, secondly, in the United States, we, you know, we see the Moved from Northern California, which is big, bold in your face. These wines that are in the United States are bigger. Um, you know, so I agree with Christy. It's, it's the fact that we have to educate that it's not the same thing that that Humia is producing these wines. And again, I will use the elegance of it uh, that that you are producing these wines and that, you know, you have to you have to let the educators educate the less educated. <laughs> to, right. Yep. To teach them that it does come in different um, expressions. You know, and I, I think the big the biggest thing is that in the United States, the Moved is a big wine. Mm -hmm. It you know they're they're selling that they're selling that one hundred percent Moved, and you are sitting down and you are chewing that wine. So I think that that's what the Americans are seeing, and with the fact that they're not seeing Humia so much on the shelf, that they're not able to grab it to learn as easily. And at the price point that you're producing these spectacular wines, people are going to grab it. If they have this much education, mm -hmm. they're going to be able to, they're going to say, oh my gosh, I heard this. This isn't as big and look at this price point and they're going to grab it and they're going to fall in love. 
that's exactly it. And it's not unique to Humia either. Um, it's, you know, that's kind of a, an overall consumer perception. I mean, it's yes. hard to, it's hard to explain that Cabernet Sauvignon isn't Cabernet Sauvignon everywhere it's produced. It has its own different expressions. It's, you know, California Cabernet Sauvignon is very different than say New York Cabernet Sauvignon. They're not the same thing, same grape, but different expressions. So it's not unique to Humia. It's just a matter of that continual education and, and letting people know what's out there. And I think Lori's right. If they have a little bit of exposure to it, they get curious, they get interested. Um, mm -hmm. And it's, you know, people want to learn, especially the millennials and Gen Z um, right now, they are open to exploration. They're open to new wines, new ideas, new stories. Um, whereas, you know, the older generations, I think you saw a lot more um, commitment to um, continuity and kind of sticking to the same thing. Like, they, like once they found their brand, yeah, that was their brand and that's what they wanted. And mm -hmm. I think now you're finding people willing to explore and they want to explore the world of wine. And so it's, it's an exciting time to get the story out there. And I honestly think another huge selling point is the, the Paya Franco, the fact that you are this own rootstock, because that's one of the first things that when you come into the wine world, oh, phylloxera, phylloxera, and everything's devastating. Every winery you go to. <laughs> every wine, you know, like that's the first thing that everything is thrown at them. Oh. So I think that this concept of that you have the, that you have the bush vines, that they're on their own rootstock and that these vines are old um, is, is another selling feature for you that we just need to educate the consumers on. Yeah. Sorry, Laurie, you had a competitor. It's a candy cane yeah. here. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I thought I should introduce you to the next generation of uh, Mia drinkers. So there you go. <laughs> <My goodness. laughs> nice. But I, I was listening as much as I could, and I, I agree with something that Christy said about having to educate the educators because that is the the average consumer doesn't really, I don't think, know really anything about Monastrell and. Mm -mm maybe a little bit about Mavedra, but probably not much. I, mm. from, from what I see, people don't like, they hear GSM blend, but they don't really mm -hmm. know what yeah. the G S and M stand for even. Right. So yeah. um, it's, it's really the educators who have this perception and it's from, you know, certainly what we get in the WSET classes and probably I can't speak to the, the Spanish wine scholar and those types of programs, but I'm guessing it's a similar type of message. Mm -hmm. um, maybe not, but it's a, it's a little bit different. Uh, WSET just forgets about Spain. If you yeah. see the map in the WSET, it's like, where is Spain? I agree. Yeah. Because it's like, okay, you have Rioja, Paisas, you have uh, Rioja, and then Cava. Yep. And now let's yeah. go to the series. I'm like, okay. Yeah. How yeah. about the other? We're 69 appellations. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm familiar with that, but uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It's, exactly. A, it's British, right? And that's it. That says it all. Yeah, that's true. That's very true. Well, that, that this is kind of like for me, it's this is a mission accomplished because my what I wanted to, to achieve with the sampling to the bloggers is to and, and then organizing this session is to educate and and to clarify any questions you might have um, and to stay in touch and engage with you guys and, you know, have a conversation because um, it's a big wine world out there. And this is just one little appellation in the southern east southeastern corner of, of Spain. Um, and I, I was hoping that we could just pull everybody together here, at least, you know, learn a little bit more. Um, is, 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 I was just uh, wondering, and maybe Lori is the right person to ask, but could you do this as a, a day trip from, um, I guess, would it be like Valencia or what would be the nearest 
big tourist destination. I would suggest yes, totally. uh, going to Alicante. Alicante is Malaysia like a, is only Alicante. one hour and a half uh, yes. drive. But we have now a new motorway, so it's very close to Valencia. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, even better road from Valencia than from Alicante because uh, Valencia we have the motorway; it's all straight. In Alicante, we have a normal road. It's a still a good road, but uh, it's uh, an hour uh, maximum from Alicante. And uh, just three hours from Madrid. So you have these uh, best options. Uh, you can go down from Madrid in the car or in the train and or go in the car from Valencia or from Alicante. We are very close. It's a good destination. Are there tour operators? Are there tour like local tour operators who do day trips from Madrid or Valencia? Uh, some tours, uh, maybe from Benidorm, come over for visiting the day. They go and come. Also, maybe some tour from Alicante. Um, I I don't know. I should check. I know we also have day tours from Cartagena, uh, from the you know the cruise. Uh, stop the big cruises stop in Cartagena and sometimes they come up uh, with the groups uh, for the day in a, in our tours okay great thank you and sorry I'll just ask one more question but do most of the wineries have pretty um, accessible cellar doors where you can stop in or they take reservations or are some closed to the public Yes, I think um, in general, our wine tourism industry is well developed. Uh, We have Mm -hmm. some wineries uh, here, for example, uh, we were speaking about the Wine Museum of Esencia del Carche, which is, sorry, Esencia Wines, which is Hacienda del Carche. Uh, They have very nice museum. I think, of course, it's better if you make reservation in advance, but anyway, Mm -hmm. probably you can just go and visit. Uh, Bodegas Luzon, uh, Ramon can tell you has a very nice uh, wine tourism scheme. Uh, you can also make reservation before in advance. Uh, same as Carcello, no? Uh, you also um, host visitors from all over the world. Oh, usually, it's better with uh, previous uh, reservation just to make sure uh, you know the people is there. But in general, we do have a very good um, developed tourism industry. If you guys want to add something about your wine tours uh, in your wineries. Well, before they talk, Christy, just to answer, um, all of the websites, or I would say the majority of the websites, when you go to their websites, they actually have an uh, an autorism link. And Mm -hmm. several of them have how you can reserve what it costs to reserve, what it in, what's included in the tasting. So they all had that they they all had that link up there, so you can check to see how you can go about visiting them. Now, as Esther, Esther was saying, the <clears throat> the tourism has been. I mean, the the winery side of the tourism has been increasing the last years, and every single winery has a, a part for that. People dedicated exclusively to that. You just have to avoid the peak times. If you're going to in summertime or you're going in, I don't know, maybe when there's some um, bank holiday in Spain, then you will have to make sure, as you said, to book in advance so just to make sure that they are going to be there and they're not booked out. But uh, apart from that, you can go throughout the years and we are all going to welcome you with our open arms. I mean, that is, we want visitors, we want to show the ones, as you said, um, the wine has to be shown. Once people drink the wine and they take the prices, 
to review mm-hmm. them for sure. So that's the goal. And as a matter of fact, on our on our website on humillawine.us, um, you can have links to the webs to the winery websites. Um, many of them say you know open for visits, so easy easy access to the information. Okay, okay. Um, Lauren, did you want to mention anything else? I want to make sure that the wineries have a chance to to hear from the bloggers and anybody else that could just impart some more information or knowledge. Um, I think I want this to be a, um, a win-win for everybody spending the time with us today. Okay, sure. Um, actually, I'm going to jump back to the Infinito wine because I think I had a different wine from everyone else. Um, mine is a 2018 and it's 100% Monastrel. Did anyone else have that one? The Infinito? Most everyone, yeah, everyone else had okay. a blend. Mine was 100%. So, um, oh, Wow. Yeah, it was really lovely and, um, you know, a little more intense on the tannins. Um, there was lots of like dark fruit and, and there was a little bit of licorice in there and um, just very, uh, I don't know, rich and almost syrupy. And on the, uh, the finish, there was this really long trail of uh, blackberry and then a little tiny bit of cocoa, like unsweetened cocoa powder. It was just mm. really, really nice. So I just wanted to add that because I don't think, uh, I think everyone else had a different wine and this was a hundred percent. The other question that I had for the producers is, um, do any of you make a rosé from the Monastro? Oh, yes. Because I'm yep. a rosé all year drinker, especially when I'm in <laughs> Miami and um, you know, lots of people do. Um, so I'm just kind of curious as to whether that's something that that they also bring to the U.S. Because I'd be super interested in that. Yeah, Lori, in our case at the Bodegas Luzon, yeah, we have a rosé wine available in the U.S. So for three or four years now, we started making it. And, okay. Yeah. Good so to know. 100% monastery, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Shane is uh, writing um, about the, your observation, Lauren. Uh, she said the vintage of uh, 2018 is 100% uh, ungrafted monastrel. In fact, it ah, is the first perfect. time they are trying this blend. So we can assume uh, they are in a new project. They have changed uh, the wine to a 100% monastrel ungrafted. So you were speaking before about how the Pierre Franco Monastrel um, differs from other monastrels. Uh, we can say for me at least uh, clearly it's a bit more, the acidity goes up a bit more. And also you can change a bit the, the black fruits to the red fruits uh, mm-hmm. as, the, as the vine gets older. And uh, I think it's, it's uh, in tune with, with your comments, no? Now that makes sense. <laughs> Lauren, let me. I wish it's not my wine, a wine from another winery, but at the end we are together in here and we had the same experience. On the past, we were blending part of the monastery with other varieties. Because usually, when you blend the wine, you can get something better, better balance or more things that you are looking for. But it's true that year and year and year after year is more complicated to cultivate grapes constant every year if you need irrigation. The down is to go to the monastery. 
increase the monastrel as much as possible, trying to quality or increase it. And on most of my wines, like Carcello and the, the old brands that we had uh, with some blends on the past, the blend is getting lower, lower, and usually monastrel mm-hmm. on almost all of the wines. So probably it's the same to these other people. And on the other side, the WST is teaching people to drink no wines. They explain you how to taste a variety of wine of grapes. So on the other side, when you are giving the wine for testing to people, if this is a blend with more than three varieties, they don't. So the wineries are adapting the wines to what people is asking for. On this case, varieties. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. two ways for the same goal. And probably is what is happening on, the, on this other wine. Trying to do it this year, not just a little bit different, because if you take other varieties out, for sure the wine is different and be focused on what people is buying. On my side, is that the point? That makes sense. Yeah, she was saying also, more than a new project, it's about trying different things. And okay, now you can, everyone can read. He says, to, <laughs> because she was writing to me, but now she's writing and, to w- One more thing, Lauren, sorry, Esther. <laughs> Two rosés on the States. And I really want, if you like it, the rosé, we can send you same. Whenever I you want, because it. we are in love of those and we trust very much on the other one. You will be amazed with. Oh, it will be my pleasure to try them. Thank you. Yeah, for sure. I'd love to try them as well. I'm always looking for uh, rose. It's really hard to find. A, I just saw one for the first time, I think, in a while on a restaurant wine list last weekend, uh, Humia Rose. But otherwise, I haven't seen one. Certainly not in any stores around here. Kitty, a problem the last year. It's not a problem. So you prepare the wine as soon as possible. You send the wine, but it was something crazy with the transport. It was too slow. Oh, yes. Uh, yes, that's the, that's that the, the wine issue. arrives on summer, yeah. not on spring. Yeah. Uh, on yes. spring, people was not allowing. So it was something strange with the moment in which people was wine on the market and when the wine arrives <clears throat> so probably well, that's the point well maybe maybe uh, same, we could consider yeah. doing a, a rosé sampling in the spring or summer absolutely that'd be great hopefully hopefully the the 2001 vintage will be in the states maybe this year for sure because th- this year was an early half i'm drinking my new vintage yeah now so oh great so 2002 will be, will be available the in the states yeah. okay. Okay. Even for awesome. January, if you want. Awesome. Yeah. Terrific. Yeah. In our case, in our case, the twenty the twenty twenty two is already. I mean, it's ready. It's bottled. I mean, even for the for the US market, it hasn't been taken yet. But we bottled it uh, a week ago, a couple of weeks ago. Oh, mm-hmm. So that one is ready for us to send samples, and it will be available in the US uh, soon uh, once they take Great. it. I mean, around January or February or something like that. So no problem. I mean, in our case, it's already made. Perfect. Terrific. That's great news. So we'll we'll be able to to, to sip on some uh, humia rosé come 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 summertime. And very different styles as well. No, the oh, rosé sure. of Luzon is a uh, more pale, uh, 
um, um, very elegant and and smart, but uh, different to the rosé of Carcello, which is more mm-hmm. with more color, no, uh, a bit more presence of a bit more time, I guess, uh, in the press. A bit more um, traditional, let's say. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's, that's something to look forward yeah. to. All right. Does, does anybody a, else have anything else like or comments or questions to clear up before we sign off? Um, otherwise, one point of uh, the op, pues, uh, nothing. Thank you. You thanking you so much for your availability, for your interest to know about Humilla wines and about our sellers. Uh, we cheer this uh, interest and uh, we're very happy and available to speak with you anytime and keep tasting Humilla. So thank you. All right. Thank you, everyone. Um, I just want to wrap, you know, I really have fallen in love with Humilla and it's wonderful to see the other bloggers taste it and to enjoy the wines and thank you for all of the producers uh the ones that i've met you know those that trip is near and dear to me esther thank you so much for you know walking us all over the place and sharing (laughs) everything with us and you know april for the introduction to to humia the the wines really are beautiful and um we just need to get the word out a little bit more Thank you, Lori. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you to all the producers. Appreciate you showing up today and and sharing your wines. Yes. And thank you, everybody, for your time today. This has been another episode of Exploring the Wine Glass. Thanks for listening. If you have suggestions on what topics you would like me to discuss, please reach out on social media. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook as Exploring the Wine Glass. I am also on LinkedIn as Lori Hoyt Bud. Of course, you can always email me at exploringthewineglass at gmail.com and sign up for my newsletter at exploringthewineglass.com. If you enjoyed what you heard, please rate, review, and subscribe to help others find me more easily. And most importantly, tell your wine-loving friends, because if you like the podcast, they will too. Podcast music is Wine by Kevins. Until next week, slancha. Give me the wine, give me the wine. No, 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 oh, no, 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 never let you go, oh, oh. No, 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 never let you go, oh, oh.